And one of the positive things that happened during COVID was there was an increase in golfers. Now, most of you would be, what does that matter? But most of my family actually picked up the game. Golf was the, the perfect thing to do. It was outside. You could stay six feet or two meters away from the other golfers. Thus, it was something we were able to do early on in COVID-19. But my family were all new and a little rough as far as their skills went. So I decided that during the winter, I would work on the fundamentals a little bit. See, I have one of my children here in the front row looking at me. And I, I tried to give them some of the theoretical side of golf, how to practice their swing. At one time, I even had them stand up against a sofa and practice swinging and don't sway away from the sofa. But it didn't go so well. I learned my lesson. And today, we're in a teaching series on Hebrews chapter 11. And there's one thing that we've discovered, or maybe rediscovered, and that is the fact that faith isn't theoretical. And there's a tendency for pastors and theologians to treat it as theoretical, as a doctrinal issue that's to be explained. But it's not. Faith is best understood when it is expressed. And you see this consistently throughout Scripture. When we learn about faith, we don't learn about it by definitions, but we learn about it by stories. And that's why you hear us talking so much about disciple-making. And in that process of making a disciple, leading someone to Christ, we say, tell your story, because your story is so powerful, and it will have an impact on the individual that you were trying to share it with. So we understand faith by stories attached to it. And that's what Hebrews 11 is really all about. And the Hebrew writer begins by giving a definition of faith. And it's a very simple definition, but if we just look at that without any other verses attached, we actually start to wonder, like, what does this mean? The Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And we say, well, what does that mean? And then the Hebrew writer says, okay, here's what it means. And then he gives example after example after example in that book to show us what faith is really like. And about halfway through the book, or through that chapter, sorry, we go, ah, that's what it is. Because faith is something that is best understood in real life. It can't be some theoretical knowledge. It has to be something that's tangibly expressed. So you say to me, I have faith, and that's great. You have faith in Jesus, and tell me your story. That's what I want, because faith has stories attached to it. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see all kinds of incredible stories of faith and examples. And as we read through these examples, I don't know if you're like me in thinking, but I'm thinking, God, would you please make it a bit more like Hebrews 11? Could my life be more like that? I don't want to go through life with a B minus average. I want to be used by God to do some incredible things, to change this world, to make his grace and his love known to this world. But many of us realize that our faith over the years has become something pretty safe and comfortable. And there's this unintended warning that oftentimes gets picked up in church when it comes to faith. Faith is good, 
We want you to have faith, but don't get carried away with it. Don't become too radical or dangerous. Just kind of play it safe. But you know something? Here's what we're learning and discovering together in Hebrews chapter 11. We're discovering that the God of Hebrews 11 is the same God who is the God of this church and this time. And whatever God could do then, he can do now. And whatever God could do through them, he can do through us. Our faith is in him. And I want us to have more stories to tell. David Morse, who was here last week, has an incredible story to tell about the seven years that his family, this was back when he was a child, lived in the hidden valley in a jungle, basically not allowed to be in China, North Burma, or in India. And all of us have stories to tell as well. So we're beginning with Hebrews 11, verse 29. It was by faith that the people crossed the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. It was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies and was not killed with those who refused to obey God. So you have to take notice that a prostitute is actually listed as a hero of the faith. And there's a tendency for us to think when we look at our past, when we look at our mistakes, to think, there's no way that God can use me. But this kind of puts an end to that excuse or that justification because the prostitute Rahab is enlisted along with all these great people of faith. So if she's there, you can be too. And then he continues on. Do I need to give more examples? He has just given example after example. And it's almost as if he said, I've stated my case. I could just stop there. But he says, I, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through their faith, they defeated kingdoms. They did what was right, received God's promises, and shut the mouths of lion. They stopped great fires and were saved from being killed with swords. They were weak and yet were made strong. They were powerful in battle and defeated other armies. Women received their dead relatives back to life. And there's example after example of God doing this incredible work through these people. And we read these stories and we think, well, that's what I want. We want stories like that. We want God to do the impossible through us. But when Hebrews chapter 11 is preached, Usually, the message kind of stops at this verse. The preacher doesn't usually keep going from there. But in verse 35, there's a different group of heroes of the faith. And this group could actually be labeled something very different from group one. Group one, you could label as people who've done incredible things by the power that God has given to them. And they've done it all through faith. Group two would be labeled as something very different. And verse 35 continues. There were others. Back in 2004, we hired Jim Midget and Matthew Morris to lead our youth ministry. And there was a show that was really popular back then. It was called Lost. I don't know if you remember watching episodes of it. And it became really popular with the youth 
And it came on at nine o'clock on Wednesday nights, right after youth group ended. So there used to be some of us that joined the youth sitting in those chairs and the guys figured out how to get the TV on the big screen. But that show was about a train, a train, a plane crash. And they landed on this deserted island and all kinds of strange and wonderful things were happening. And then eventually they discovered that there were others on the island. And this brought on another whole series of, of events that took place. But there were others. They weren't alone. So there were others as well in regards to this scripture. Others who were tortured, who refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. So things go in a different direction here. And we began by reading these incredible examples of things that people accomplished through faith, but here we read of people who endured the unimaginable. And it's separated by that simple little phrase, there were others. Now the one thing that I know is that nobody wants to sign up and be a part of the others. We all want to be a part of group one. We want to shut the mouths of lions, not be devoured by them. We want to be the ones that can make this big difference in our community. We but we often find ourselves in group two. And really, if you are a man or woman of faith, at one point or another, you will find yourself in both groups. There will be times when God is doing amazing things through you, and then there will be times when you'll be enduring things that you never thought that you would ever have to go through. So we're going to spend a few minutes talking to the others, those who are finding it hard to keep the faith. And if you're part of the others, I want you to make sure that you understand that you have an opportunity to be a hero of the faith, just as much as the person who is accomplishing amazing things. When you endure a lot, you are an example to the rest of us. Now, sometimes faith looks like a wife on her knees in a waiting room praying for her husband who's in surgery to have a tumor removed. And the doctor comes in and he says, there's no tumor there. There was, and we don't know what happened, and we don't know where it's gone. It's just not there. But sometimes that's what faith looks like. But sometimes faith is a wife standing in a cemetery and she's watching a casket lowered to the ground. And that's faith too. Sometimes faith is a grade nine student who is open about her faith and her church. And every kid in the two grade nine classes in her school ends up coming to Halifax Christian Church's youth group. It was a zoo, but it was amazing to have all of these kids here. So sometimes that's what faith looks like. But sometimes faith looks like this. A grade nine student is open about her faith and she ends up being ridiculed and mocked and she spends the whole year being misunderstood. That's faith too. So there are two different groups and you'll find yourself in both. But for those of us who are right now in group number two and you feel very much a part of the others, 
I want to give you a few things in Hebrews chapter 11 that you can kind of hang on to. So first of all, we're going to go back to the definition one more time. So now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And there's a word that we need to have some clarification on, and it's the word confidence. See, when we think of confidence, we mostly think of hopeful optimism. The underdog team goes into a game with a confidence that they can win, and hopefully it will happen. They just don't know for sure. I coached my daughter Shannon's under-11 soccer team one summer, and our local organization pulled a bad trick on us, and they took all the best under-11 kids and put them in an age bracket older to give them some more competition. So then the three teams that were left, we ended up playing all the best under-11 girls in all the other organizations. So we were not winning, and we were not winning. My daughter was scoring two goals a game, and we would lose 6-2, 8-2. I even yelled at her once. I couldn't believe this. Shannon, could you run faster? And she turned around and did the appropriate thing. And she said, shut up, Dad. I'm going as fast as I can. And she was doing everything. But later in the summer, we had hopeful optimism that we would win a game. But later in the summer, one of the other teams folded, and we picked up a couple of girls that could play a little bit of soccer, and things started looking better. And the last game of the year, I ran up and down the sidelines following the ball, yelling instructions, and we won the game 2-1. And the girls were just ecstatic. But for most of the time, it was just a hopeful optimism. But I want you to know that one of the girls on that team, her family started attending our church. We had some positive influence there. Some others had attended vacation Bible school. But it was a great summer. But that's how we tend to think of confidence. It's hopeful optimism. But the word translated here as confidence is better defined as there is an absolute certainty. It's speaking about something that's yet to happen as if it has already happened. And that's what we're speaking about with this biblical confidence as it relates to faith, where you're speaking of something that hasn't yet happened as if it already has. So you speak of the future in the past tense, and that's how confident you are because of your faith. Now, when we think of faith, it would be like those of us who still use a clock radio for our wake-up alarm. Now, I don't, I'm mostly awake ahead of it, but this weekend, no electricity, so I may have to rely on the most obvious thing anyway and use my phone and the alarm that's on my phone. But we're pretty confident that our clock radio is going to work, but we need that backup because it could go wrong. And actually, I'll be honest, on days when I have to get up really early and I'm afraid that that clock radio just might not do it, I might fall asleep on my good ear and then not be able to hear very well with my bad ear, and I use that phone. I want that backup. But this word confidence that is used here is saying that there is no backup plan. We have confidence in God, and there is absolute certainty that he is going to come through no matter what we're going through. He can be trusted. See, there's a tendency to look at faith almost as optimism. And you've heard people say, uh, hey, you just need to keep the faith. And, 
It's almost like they're saying, look on the bright side of life. Be positive here. But that faith is really just being a more positive person. That's not what it means to have biblical faith. It is faith in God, and then there is absolute certainty, whether it's in this life or the next. And it's certainty that he'll do what he says that he'll do, that he'll be who he says that he will be. And I think we've missed it because we talk about optimism, because this isn't just hopeful optimism. We know that this life isn't all that there is. We know that this life isn't the end of the story. And what he's saying in verse 37 and following is basically, look, this world that we live in, our faith is in the next life. Our faith is in our eternal home. And we know how the story goes. So that changes how we endure. It changes how we persevere. It changes how we hang on right now. Daniel Gilbert is a psychology professor at Harvard University, and he wrote an article entitled, What You Don't Know Makes You Nervous. And he talked about how happiness is down and sadness is up, and he said that most people are saying this is because of the economy, the financial stress is causing it. But he said it's not about finances, it's not about uncertainty. And he talked about a Dutch experiment that I shared years ago, And he said there were volunteers that were separated into two groups. One group of volunteers were going to receive 20 intense electric shocks. And I don't know why someone would volunteer for that. We're having trouble getting people to volunteer to teach in Glow Kids downstairs. But they're signing up to get shocks. And then the second group are told that they are going to receive three intense shocks and then 17 very mild ones but they don't know when the extreme ones are going to come. And the testing proved that those who received only three intense shocks actually had more physiological suffering, more rapid heartbeat, more perspiration than those who received 20 electrical shocks. And it was all because they didn't know when those three were coming. They were constantly tense, thinking, this is the one, this is the one. And it made them uncertain about what was going to happen. See, that's why, as Christians, we have joy and peace. It's because our faith is an absolute certainty. It's not in this world, and it's not in this life. It's in the next. Like One guy wrote this song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And that is so true. That's us when we enter into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I see this many times when I go to visit our people in hospital. I talk to doctors and nurses, and oftentimes they're amazed at the faith of the people who are in hospital and going through intense things. Dr. David Horn was, I feel, brought to us for a very special purpose. He came to the IWK hospital 
to do a fellowship in children's cardiac surgery. And it was right at the time when our then 15-year-old Eric Dubé needed this very tricky heart valve replacement surgery. And he, he was actually supposed to go to Toronto, but because David was here, they decided to let him do the surgery. They brought a surgeon down from Toronto's chick, uh, sick children's hospital to supposedly lead or maybe assist David. The nurse, the scrub nurse that was there that day was a member of our church, Amy Lockhart. She teaches grades, I think she's preschool, in the 930 service downstairs. So there were these people all around, and I was there praying with the family all day, and then towards the end of the day, I saw the medical team coming. So I moved out of the little visiting room because there wasn't enough room for me in there but David and Amy went into the room and that other surgeon stopped and stayed outside with me and we started talking and he said I didn't do a thing in that room he said David he started off I could see he was right in line and I just let him go ahead and take care of it all and then we talked a little bit more. And then I said, you know something? Everybody in that room is a part of the church that I'm pastor at. And he said, I know. They've been talking about being a part of the same church. I heard the conversation that was going on in that surgical room. And I talked with the family beforehand. And he said, you know, it was really quite something. And it gave me an amazing opening to, to be able to talk to him. And then I've had doctors come up to me after someone in our church had just gone through a terrible tragedy. And they've said, I've never seen anyone be able to deal with this so well. And I said, that's because of their faith. That's what does it. In Joshua 6, there's a story that is referenced in Hebrews 11.30. It was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. So Moses has died, and he has passed the mantle of leadership onto Joshua, and the nation of Israel are approaching the promised land. But they come to the city of Jericho, and their instructions are to take that city, but it seems impossible. The city is surrounded by two walls. The first wall was 12 feet thick. The second or inner wall was six feet thick, and it's surrounded by guards. So it seems like an impossible situation for them. And then we read this in the story in Joshua 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So I'm sure Joshua must have been thinking and wanting to say this to God. Um, God, uh, I think you missed the details a little bit here. Maybe you haven't actually done it yet, right? We're still on the wrong side of the wall. We all get our verb tenses mixed up sometimes, and it happens to the best of us. So I understand that when you said, I have delivered, what you meant to say was, I am going to deliver. You just got confused a little bit. But he's God. And he can kind of do that. And he said, I have. And that speaks of something as if it hasn't happened 
but is already going to happen. And that's what these heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11.35 and onward understood. They understood where their faith was entrusted, and that was in God. One of the challenges for us is that when we think of faith, we try to put our faith in God doing what we want him to do. But that's not biblical faith. And sometimes you'll hear pastors talking about it's almost this magical formula. If you just have enough faith, then God will do what you want him to do. And I believe that that is a teaching that we have to be careful about. And you'll hear TV preachers, and I'll have to be careful about criticizing them because I may be on TV here this morning. James and I are now TV preachers through our live streaming. But you'll hear them say that type of thing. They'll say, if you just had enough faith, you would be healed. Or if you just had enough faith, you would get that job. Or your financial situation would be taken care of. And sometimes faith heals. And sometimes faith actually takes care of the bills. But sometimes faith gives you the strength to get through until that time when there will be perfect healing in eternity. And sometimes faith gives you the strength to persevere, even though you don't know where the bills are going to be paid. The key I have up here on a a slide is our faith isn't in life circumstances. Our faith is in God's character. So don't interpret life Uh, if it's going really well as a reason to have more and more faith and don't interpret life if it's not going so well uh, that your faith should fall apart. Our faith isn't in life's circumstances. Our faith is in God's character. So how does Hebrews 11.37 and following fit into all of that? These people were killed with swords. They were cut in two. They were living in caves, they were living in holes in the ground, is the problem that they didn't have enough faith? It's insulting to ask that question because that's not the problem. They had faith and their faith gave them the strength to endure and persevere and to put their hope in God and not in the circumstances of their lives. That's why the Bible says to give thanks in all circumstances because our hope isn't in this world. Our faith isn't on this side of eternity. Our faith is in God, and it's not based on the circumstances. It's based on theology. It's based on who God is. So my faith is in God, and I have faith in God's mercy that one day he will rain that mercy down, and the lonely and the brokenhearted will experience comfort and peace, and there'll be no more crying or mourning or pain. And my faith is in God. I have faith in God's power that he will heal. And one day the lame will walk and the blind will see. My faith is in God. And I have faith in God's justice. That his justice will be seen. And he will avenge his abused children. My faith is in God. And he is a God who redeems. And he can put together what is impossibly broken. My faith is in God. I have faith in God's character, and I know that he is a God who saves, that any situation is not hopeless because he is a God who saves. So salvation is coming, and it's not based on, li- on the circumstances of life. It's based on God's character. And Hebrews 11 gives us example after example of heroes of the faith who got it. 
And one of the great examples of faith comes after Joshua led the people through the city of Jericho. So the walls have crumbled, they've taken the city, and now they're even closer to the promised land, and they're in a battle with the Amorites. And the Israelites are winning the battle, but the sun is starting to go down, and they realize that the day may end before they can win the battle, and if darkness comes, then the Amorites will get away. They'll have a chance to kind of get themselves together and will come back, and then the Israelites are going to have to fight again another day. So we read this incredible prayer in Joshua 10. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for hours, giving them enough time to defeat their enemy. The sun stood still. But the doctor came in to me and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. But the sun stood still. Or maybe your adult child says, I don't want anything to do with God or Jesus or the church. That's okay, because the sun stood still. Or maybe you don't see any way that you can possibly repair your marriage. The sun stood still. And this is the God in whom we have placed our faith. Sometimes you will find yourself in group one, and incredible things will be happening that you didn't imagine you could ever do or that you would ever see God do in your life. The impossible will be accomplished. But there will be times when you're over here in group two. And in those times, we're reminded that our faith is an absolute certainty and that it's not in the circumstances of life, but that our faith is in the character of God. At the start of my message, I said that faith is not theoretical. It's something that has to be expressed. It needs to be demonstrated. And there should be a story to go along with your faith. So one of the stories that should go along with your faith is confessing your faith in Christ before others. Another story that should go along with your faith is actually repenting of the sin in your life, turning your life around, and now putting Jesus on the throne of your life. Another story is actually being baptized into Christ because faith literally means response. And baptism is a God-commanded response of my faith. So if you want to talk to someone about what it means to put your faith in him, then let's talk. Talk to one of our other leaders. Our associate pastor, James, he's down helping out in the media room today. But you can go down, knock on the door. He'd love to talk to you as well. Or contact us in some way because we want you to know what genuine biblical faith is really like.